In one of his many immensely popular and insightful songs, Paul Simon sang, I am a rock, I am an island. Sorry, Paul, but those words were false bravado, and I'm afraid that a dynamic educator by the name of Crystal got it right. I worked at Foldcraft Company for 31 years. The firm became as well known for some of its managerial and cultural initiatives as it was for its products. But of all the inventiveness exhibited, one idea stood out as having truly life-changing potential, both for the company and its members. It was the adoption of a corporate wellness model. At the time, approximately 1976, the notion was unheard of, but Foldcraft was willing to adopt the idea that a company could contribute to the well-being of its people. Its wellness program turned out to be among the first in the country, embracing all dimensions of wellness. On behalf of the company, I attended wellness conferences periodically, both to present Foldcraft initiatives as well as to spur my own imagination about how to incorporate wellness within a manufacturing environment. There were almost no examples for us to follow. At one wellness conference, I heard a presentation by educator Crystal Kuykendall, who related the terrible and gripping story of a wedding anniversary eve when her 25-year-old husband was shot and killed on the street by a 15-year-old. She shared the realization that despite their own focus on being well, they were victimized by the shooter's own lack of it. They could only be as well as a misguided 15-year-old would allow them to be. That was an idea I had never quite considered before, and it shook me. My health and well-being was partially in the hands of others. The story is one that has remained with me ever since. The lesson is brought into an even clearer focus for me these days as I observe my own children and the nature of their respective work. One daughter is a social worker with focus on at-risk kids. She works hard on behalf of children who need outside interventions due to family peril or other threats to their well-being. She is often incredulous at the difficulties that some kids have to endure. Another daughter is an attorney who works in the civil division of a county attorney's office, with juvenile court a common destination for her and her clients. Emotional court confrontations involving children extract an especially high cost. Yet another daughter works as a group home caregiver, assisting individuals with special needs in semi-independent living. It's a house mother role and the residents are her charges, providing all of the challenges and frustrations of any family setting and more. It's emotional work that requires patience, respect, and love. It is also high stress due to the responsibility for others. I'm very proud of our daughters and the work that they do on behalf of others 
I know that to a certain extent, they perform the work out of a caregiving mentality, one that can generate enormous gratification and job satisfaction. We are wired as human beings to be of help, of service. But I also have come to recognize the price that such caregivers pay for their work. One of those costs is the stress they incur and its impact upon their own wellness. Their well-being is absolutely impacted by the clients with whom they work. During the journey that Katie and I are on, I have been advised repeatedly and by nearly every physician, advisor, fellow caregiver, and friend that I will need to attend to my own health and well-being if I am to be a source of those for Katie. I knew that from the beginning. I am at times obsessively wellness-minded. But like many truths in life, this one is difficult to fully comprehend until it has been lived personally. I now comprehend fully. Marriage partners, if they're fortunate, come to be extensions of one another, each gifting the other with an expanded view of life and its wonders. Two can experience more than one alone. Partnership thrives on the sharing of two realities, two truths, and thereby creates a third perspective, a hybrid that can be quite unlike either of the two components from which it is derived. That is creative, fulfilled, shared living, and one of the strongest sources of deep love. It is a keystone to well-being. But I can feel it slipping away. No matter how often I work out or care for the food I eat, no matter how much sleep I can get or books I can read, my health is compromised, limited, by the trials that Katie is going through. Her anxiety is privately my own. Her outlook is the roadmap I will follow. At one and the same time, we are both assaulted and gifted. Strangers and neighbors and friends are not the same as marriage partners, of course, but they are unequivocally influential on my well-being. A higher level of well-being in others elevates them and concurrently lifts me. I become stronger, more adaptive, more accepting when I acknowledge that. In short, I need them to be well. It seems undeniable that whether we are comfortable with the idea or not, we are called to strengthen one another, whether out of compassion or self-interest in our own well-being. Do those around us grow as persons, become healthier, wiser, more free, more confident, and thus more likely to elevate others? It seems that we are accountable. If I can imagine my well-being without limits, it's what I must do. <laughs>